I'm gonna go ahead and call the meeting to order. Um, and I'll go ahead and take roll call. Einan Lynch, present. Frazier. Fitzsimmons. Here. Gade. Present. Grimm. Krieger. Murray. Here. Chetty. Silman. Present. Sturdivant. Here. And Walter. Here. Great. And any members of the staff? Gardner, present. And next is approval of the minutes from the July 10th meeting, uh, which were in today's packet. Are there any corrections needed? We'll note a correction to be made in the um, attendance chart at the end. <clears throat> if no corrections, then I will entertain a motion. Walter, I'll move. Motion to accept the July 10th minutes. A second. Third event, second. Any other discussion? All, right. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Okay, motion passes. And we will move to public comment, but as there are no members of the public, I will move on to announcements. All right, well, the first one begins with an apology from me. Under action items for the last meeting, um, I was to include the PCAP and CCAP chart in the agenda packet meeting, which I forgot to do, and I am sorry. But um, that means that it got printed out and put on your seats um, today, so you all have a print copy in front of you, and we will amend the agenda packet to include it um, going backwards. So um, that just gives you a rundown. You'll see of what the different requirements are. I know we discussed it in previous meetings, but you can see um, there are things like quantified GHG reduction measures that are required in the PCAP. Um, that one I wanted to call your attention to just to say as we are going through our existing climate action plan, we actually don't have quantified emissions reductions to, um, tied to any of the items that are currently in it. So when we begin putting it together, that will be one of the considerations as to what makes it into this regional first regional plan is can we quantify those benefits? If, do we need more time? If we need more time to figure out how to do that, then it might be something that goes to the comprehensive climate action plan instead. So um, I'll give you a second to sit with that and just we'll see if anybody has any other questions about it before we move on. Hearing none, we'll move on. And I'll say um, we will be giving you regular updates. We did just actually get word right before this meeting that our work plan was accepted by the EPA, so we expect um, to start moving forward here fairly rapidly in the near future, which means we'll have more to discuss. 
Um, and then we have some updates to the commission meetings and members. Um, first, we want to welcome Wim Murray. Wim is taking the place of Jesse Leckband on our commission and will be joining us going forward. And Wim, I'll give you a chance to introduce yourself. Uh, sure. Do I need to? Oh, no, I don't. Um, so I, I'm Wim Murray. I'm an account manager. A key account manager is what we used to be called at Mid-American Energy, but now we're business connections managers. Um, I've lived in Iowa City for over about 25 years. I went to college here, originally from upstate New York. I've worked at Mid-American Energy for about nine years now. Um, I was an electric distribution design technician before I became an account manager, so I designed um, the electric distribution systems around Iowa City, Coralville area. Um, and now I do account management, which falls under our economic development group also. So, yeah, I'm, I may be a little bit newer than Jesse. He had a lot of knowledge, but I am still in touch with him and plan to <laughs> pick his brain on a lot of this. Well, thank you and welcome. Yep. Um, and then sadly, well, not so sadly for us, um, we have to say goodbye to Lizzie Fitzsimmons on the commission. I say not sadly only because she has taken a position with Green Iowa AmeriCorps and will be helping us with our energy audits in the year ahead. And so because it <laughs> constitutes a bit of a conflict, she has elected graciously to step down from the commission to serve in that more active role and will be missed. But Lizzie, was there anything you wanted to add? Not really. I'm it says I'll still be like doing stuff around here, so it's not like super different, but yeah. I'm kinda sad to leave it'll be but it's been fun. And you all have my email, so <laughs> and we're really looking forward to having somebody on our Green Iowa AmeriCorps team who has experience with the Climate Action Commission and can really help put into some context the importance of the work they do. So that'll be great. Thank you. And then of course Jesse's not here with us today. Um, but we sent a thank you to him as well for his time served on the commission. He actually, for those of you who are more recent additions to the commission, Jesse actually was part of the original steering committee that helped formulate the climate action plan. So he's been a long serving member and um, we'll miss his insights. Um, and then on that note, um, with Jesse stepping down, we thought this would be a good time to uh, visit the question of the standing Zoom link that we've been using. As some of you uh, may or may not be aware, the Zoom link we are was a bit of an experiment following the end of COVID protocols. We are one of only two boards and commissions in the city um, that was working with that hybrid model to see how it worked. Um, and I, I think it's somewhat telling that we were also one of two boards and commissions that really struggled to make quorum. It seems to be a connected issue. So in part because we want to have you all in the room and that's what counts toward quorum, we're going to go ahead and retire that Zoom link for um, the foreseeable future and just plan on being together in the room when we're possible. And also we think it'll just be more humane, frankly, for when you're sick or you have a sick kid at home and you need to give them attention. You don't have to feel like you've got to divide that attention between like listening with one ear to the commission meeting and attending to the things you need to attend to at home. Otherwise, now you can just be sick and rest and recover and count on your fellow commission members to be here to make up quorum. So were there any questions about any of those changes before we move on? Okay, great. 
Um, and then we come to working group updates. Um, <laughs> ironically, no one on the energy benchmarking group <laughs> is here to give an update, but I can say in our conversations <laughs> with Danny, um, that that group is winding down. They've got, they went over some bullet points that they hope to um, use to build a memo and the plan is to bring that memo in uh, to the September meeting so you all have a chance to take a look at it. That'll outline um, our basic strategy uh, going forward with that program. So um, I guess we'll get the full update in September. And then marketing audience mapping. Um, would anybody on that working group like to provide an update? Or Megan? Uh, so we met and discussed personas, um, audience mapping for the fair free. That's what it kind of changed into. It was supposed to be Goldie and it kind of morphed uh, into fair free once that was passed. Um, we did have a meeting set up um, to meet again last week, but it just didn't work out scheduled. So we are going to email each other the next set of uh, personas, audience mapping, and kind of give each other feedback. And if we feel like we should meet one more time, we will. Otherwise, um, that will be it. There's been a lot of really great feedback and resources. Uh, coming from that group, and I've already used some of them. Michelle, for example, sent me a contact who is in charge of orientation for new students. So I sent her all of our info for Fair Free, and she's gonna send it out to the new students. So there's there's a lot of uh, good work that came from that, and I do appreciate um, Lizzie, Michelle, and Gabe for all of your work and feedback. Um, and we'll just say we appreciate the willingness of that working group to pivot and focus more specifically on fair free. That was something that came up rather suddenly um, and we had just a short amount of time to pull together our marketing efforts. But um, as a sure indicator that it, they were worthwhile conversations, um, when we launched that program last Tuesday, on the first day we had a 42% increase in bus ridership. And by the end of the week it had risen, I believe to 63% is what Darian said. Um, and that is, I think, attributable in large part to a really great um, messaging and marketing campaign. Because it's one thing to have free buses, but people have to know they're free to want to try them, right? And see the level of excitement we've seen. So thanks to that group for the work you did in contributing to that success. I think there's a lot to be proud of there. All right, so ends the announcements. Did you want to talk about Climate Fest? Or are you just holding that? Um, I think we're going to hold that for okay. the unfinished and ongoing business. Well, shall we go to unfinished and ongoing business? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So um, as you may recall, earlier in the year, we had, feels like forever ago now, a discussion about departments we'd like to hear from. Um, and we're going to be hearing from a number of departments and divisions in the coming months. But one of those early requests was to hear from Jane Wilch and get an update on some of the programs that she had presented on last year. So. Here she is uh, with many an update and one of these items, the Food Waste Wednesdays pilot, there was some information in the agenda packet on so you had a chance to look at it ahead of time. And that being said, we'll turn the floor over to Jane. Great, thank you, Sarah. Uh, 
Thank you everyone for having me. I'm Jane Wilch, the city's recycling coordinator, and I'm part of the resource management division. I know many of you have heard from me before, but just as a quick overview, our resource management division manages the Iowa City landfill, uh, which is also the compost and hazardous material operations, our curbside collection program, and then also a variety of different drop-off programs as well. Uh, we'll be talking a lot about different plastic and non-plastic type of programs that uh, we've been working on over the last year. One quick update though, just because we had the announcement go out this morning. We just are slowing down from moving season uh, with the lease turnover at the end of July and the start of August. And we had our donation drive-through event on July 23rd, which is sort of a new model post, uh, kind of post-COVID, post-rummage in the ramp, uh, something that is a really efficient model we can do in one day to divert a lot of materials. Uh, so within four hours, we had 16,000 pounds of usable and recyclable goods that we saved from the landfill. And then we diverted all of those through recycling programs for the city for things like batteries and light bulbs, and then the usable goods through local community and nonprofit groups. So antelope lending library, houses and homes, et cetera. So I'm glad we're, we're moving on to other programs now. That's always a very busy time of year for us. So uh, we've definitely had interest from the commission in terms of the topic of plastic. So delving into a few updates with things we've done, especially with programs and projects that are meant to encourage alternative non-plastic materials. Uh, so one of which being our glass recycling program. So we have successfully completed that expansion. Just about a year ago is when we opened three additional drop-off locations. So before that point, we had three drop-offs around the community. Uh, this expansion doubled that to six drop-off locations. And the goal with that, make it easier to recycle glass. Uh, and similar to glass and some of the food waste programs we'll be talking about in a moment, the goal with this is make it easier to use alternative materials that are not plastic. Uh, and one of the ways we can do that is make recycling easier, make reuse easier, make composting easier. So that's one example from the recycling end. From the food waste and organics end, End. We've got a few different things in the works right now, one of which being we are still anxiously waiting to hear uh, from the Environmental Protection Agency. We applied for their SWIFER grant, which is the Solid Waste Infrastructure for Recycling Grant Program, and we applied... January, February time. Uh, it takes several months just because this is a national federal program. So they expect to announce uh, recipients, I think September, October time. So we're coming upon that. Uh, but we applied for $4 million to improve our compost facility. So the goal with that is to not only improve, expand the footprint uh, acreage wise, but also look at improved technology and equipment uh, to be able to process more material more efficiently as well. So the goal is increase that tonnage that we can accept on an annual basis at that facility to expand those composting programs throughout the community as well. As of right now, we are basically at capacity. So that makes it so there's just not a lot else we can do in terms of programming. Things like business composting, we just have to be somewhat limited with that until we can expand that facility. So we're really looking forward to that program. Please send good vibes for the grant. <laughs> Uh, the other food waste related program we have going on that just started kicked off in July is called Food Waste Wednesdays. And I believe that is included in the packet as well. Uh, that is a drop off composting pilot program. So we are hosting that at the Eastside Recycling Center just on Wednesdays through uh, September 27th. So it's a three month pilot program. 
it's an event style pilot program because I am sitting outside with the bins for five hours. So, uh, but the, the benefit of that is that we've got that uh, oversight to really observe what type of participation we're getting, uh, comments from those engaged and participating in that program, and then also the big important reason as to why I'm there is to curb contamination issues. So when it comes to drop-off composting, it's very, very different than cardboard or glass or metal. You're dealing with natural, organic, wet material. Uh, so just a different beast than looking at other types of materials. So that contamination is really a big concern that we want to keep minimal uh, to zero at this point. So uh, it's going well so far. We've had some really good feedback. We've seen participation increase every single week, which has been awesome. The goal from this is after this pilot program to look at uh, really the entire three months, how it went, we've got notes and data every single week that we're looking at to determine what are best practices for how we could expand a program like this and make it permanent at other locations potentially too. Uh, currently, the only drop-off location is out at the Iowa City landfill, which as we know, can be a barrier. It's a long distance to drive out there. Uh, so this is just yet another way to increase that accessibility as well. Any questions on all of that before I move on to a few more updates? Yeah. Um, this is Silman. I was wondering, who are most of the people who are participating? Are, are yeah. there people from the county or apartment buildings? Where are you seeing those? That's a great from? question. So this program is really meant to target anyone that is not a curbside customer. So locally, our curbside customers uh, do have access to composting for food waste and yard waste at the curb. This is meant to offer a accessible service to anyone living in condo associations that might be on private roads and don't have curbside service, apartment apartment buildings that are larger than four unit, and then yes, rural residents as well. Yeah. I have a question. If you this is Gage. Um, if you received the um, grant, would you expand also the curbside composting to neighboring communities too, other than Iowa City? Or I feel like there was talk about that. Not within our existing program. So with how it's zoned, it is just single family homes up through fourplex within city limits. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Could I reframe that question? Yeah. Because I, I think what you're getting at is we had discussed the possibility of maybe having, if we can expand our compost operational footprint, it might enable a more regional approach. Mm -hmm. I think that's what you're driving yes. at. And the idea is not that we would run necessarily the collection for other communities, but there might be an option for them or a yes. commercial entity. Does the grant allow for that? Currently, no. However, what I will tell you is this has opened up a really amazing door uh, to other potential grant opportunities. Uh, we've been looking at other things related to USDA and the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And also, I will say there have been other programs where we have collaborated with other cities within our service area, which is Johnson County. Uh, and I, I absolutely would foresee something like that happening in the future. Um, in terms of composting, I think right now we're also at a point where economically there's not a lot of haulers offering composting uh, pickup. So there could definitely be uh, some potential for something like that as there's, there's growth to be had locally. Great. Okay. Sarah, am I still doing okay on time? Yeah, you're doing great. Okay. Just this tell is Sturvin. I actually had a question regarding sure. the like furniture drop off. Sure. For the, you know, I, I know the timing of move out and all that stuff. If you do that in the future, is it going to be like a weekend or are you going to open it up to like a couple days because, you know, students got to be out? 
26th and they might not have everything by like the 23rd. So as of right now, uh, with we've been calling this a pilot program. It's becoming more of a permanent program every year as we kind of reshape it. The reason we went down to one day is really about staffing capacity, um, trying to create a program within limited staff uh, that is efficient and still accomplishes really good waste diversion and a program that offers the services to our community. Um, I will say we chose the 23rd and it, it moves around each year, but 22nd, 23rd, 24th, intentionally just because we are seeing that lease gap continuing to widen uh, even before dates like the 26th. So the goal is even if it's a, a few days before some of those leases end, uh, it just captures that many more people. Uh, we used to hold events closer to the end of the month because traditionally a lot of leases didn't end until the 30th or the 31st. We've seen that really change in the last 10 years. So that's the reason why we've targeted a little earlier in July. Yeah. Could I ask, I, I think it might be useful too. I know Jane, you and I earlier had discussed a measure that you keep an eye on, which is the amount of tonnage diverted per hour of staff time at these events. Could you talk about rummage in terms of tonnage per hour, the first year of the drop-off donation program and the second year? Yeah, we had we had a fun data moment with that. So rummage on the ramp, traditionally that was about 10 days. Uh, each day it would vary in terms of when it would open and close, but let's say on average each day the event was open approximately eight hours for 10 days. In total, we would divert between 20 and 30 tons during those 10 days. Uh, if we look at donation drive-through, so the first year that we ever held this event was last year, and within four hours, we diverted four tons. So that's one ton per hour compared to so many significant hours for rummage on the ramp uh, to divert just 20 to 30 tons. Uh, so a really big difference in terms of efficiency. If we look at this year, we doubled that amount. So at this point, we're up to 16,000 pounds, which is eight tons of material. So about two tons per hour, which is significantly more efficient than the rummage and the ramp model. And again, especially within uh, the reality of staffing capacity concerns, uh, it's definitely a model that we think is working well right now. This is Aynan Lynch. Um what do you what do you think accounts for the such a drastic change in efficiency in this program versus the other program? It's a different model, uh, so it is a drive through versus it being a garage sale model. Uh, I think. Part of what has helped as well is this model is making it so the city is not necessarily handling most of the materials. We partner directly with those nonprofit organizations that are there present with us for the entire four hours loading their own vehicles. Uh, so I think part of the appeal and, and why there is growing participation in this program is that it's going to help you know, different nonprofit and different community groups that are offering a lot of positive impact to our community already. So it's instant diversion and it's instant benefit to those organizations. Yeah. Okay, a few more updates. Uh, on the recycling front, so if we think of plastics, there are still certain types of plastics that can be successfully recycled. And so looking within that lens, a few things that we're doing, we are just starting a pilot program at Eastside Recycling Center with the plastics recycling bin. The goal with this is uh, 
two steps. So number one is to have education to reduce plastic use. So really educating on the complexity of plastic and why it is important to reduce use. And then the second step of that is to educate on what types of plastics can be recycled and to really educate on all the types of plastics that cannot be recycled. So the overall goal of this program is to especially reduce contamination in that plastics bin. Uh, and when I say reduce contamination, I mean things like styrofoam, plastic bags, non-plastic items like tube light bulbs, which I have actually found in the plastics bin, uh, or bulky plastic items like trash cans. Uh, really reduce those items that cannot be processed, cannot be recycled through our system. So that's one aspect we're doing with the drop-off programs. Uh, with curbside collection, we are also working on a system to install, design and install stickers for every household uh, to have a sticker for at least one of their curbside carts. And that includes QR codes and web links for all three programs, so garbage recycling and composting, uh, which will take you to the website for the most up-to-date program information. We sometimes get questions as to why we don't already have permanent stickers on the carts. The reason being is that program can change. Uh, and when we launched our CART program, it was during a time when there was a lot of instability in the recycling world. It was 2018, 2019. Uh, and so from a sustainability standpoint, it didn't make sense to print permanent stickers. Uh, but we have found this to be a good sort of uh, middle solution for this, where it gets them to the most up-to-date information. So more to come on that. Other plastics initiatives, so one thing we are going to be looking at over the next few months is a bring your own container campaign. So this will be for any customers that are dine-in at restaurants, and this is a reduction strategy. So not necessarily looking at alternative disposable materials, but looking first at the most important step, which is reduction. So more to come on that. We've not started building that yet, but over the next few months, that's prioritized. And then, of course, continuing to engage with restaurants on the takeout and delivery end of the disposable dishware as well. Uh, we have done a business survey. It had some participation, but at this point, we, we really need more data and engagement to move that forward. So more to come with that. Uh, but we do think the Bring Your Own Container campaign is a really good way to start some of that engagement as well. So those are all my updates. Any other questions that we have? Yeah. The, um, the mattress recycling program, I yeah. was just wondering if you could give an update on where things are for that. Yeah. So we did a few years ago write a grant that was completely focused on mattresses. It was half reduction, half recycling. So we had some money dedicated to the Houses into Homes local nonprofit organization, and that was for the reuse of good quality, gently used mattresses. And that was during some of their early years. They you know, started up as a nonprofit in about 2018, 2019. Uh, and so to offer them some financial support with the great work they were doing to save and then uh, redistribute good quality, gently used mattresses. So that was part of it. The the other part of that was to kickstart a pilot program for mattress recycling. There at the time was no opportunity in all of the state of Iowa for mattress recycling. And so we thought, let's start a program locally. Uh, and we were working with Willis State Homeless Services, which is up in Cedar Rapids. They were interested in starting a work program for their clients, and they wanted to start a mattress recycling operation. So uh, we worked with them. This was, gosh, we were really working on the operations in 2020 got slowed down a little bit by the pandemic, and then the deratio hit, 
And the building that we were going to utilize on Willis Dady property had the second floor completely torn off. So we had a few hurdles with that program. Uh, I am proud to say we are up and running now. It is still definitely in pilot stage, just with some of those hurdles to work through. Uh, but for example, the mattresses that we collect through our special item curbside program, which is any bulky items that we have our curbside customers scheduled to have picked up. Those are all diverted through the mattress recycling program. And then on an event style basis as well, such as donation drive through, we've also been diverting mattresses for recycling. Yeah. One other thing I did want to mention too, all of you should have a magnet in front of you. Uh, so this is our Love Food Fight Waste program that launched a little over a year ago. Uh, this is really meant to reduce food waste at the household level with a number of very approachable tips and strategies on how to do that. Uh, we've had a great first year with this program. At this point, we're going into Love Food Fight Waste 2.0 with some new different types of engagement, such as video production. Uh, so more to come on that, but I did want everybody to have a magnet. Anything else? Okay. Um, we'll just add if anybody has any questions related to recycling or resource management that weren't included in these, feel free to ask now. You don't have to restrict your questions to just yeah. what you've heard about. Hi, this is Gade. I actually do have a question, and maybe um, this is um, an easy question that a lot of That's people fine. know, <laughs> but I know, uh, recently, I don't remember what the conversation was, um, at work, but we were talking about composting and, um, there was a claim that a compostable cup or utensil, if it was just thrown away in regular trash, that it would be able to be composted anyways by typical, just, you know, moving of of waste in the landfill. Is that the case or is it very important to compost all of those things in a specific bin? That's a great question. So there is definitely a understanding that when something is placed in a landfill that it will eventually break down. Uh, and that unfortunately is not the case. Uh, so a landfill environment is a very well-engineered structure. The way that we efficiently compact and squish that garbage together makes it so there's no air and there's no light. So it's essentially a preservation tomb not the standard type of decomposition that you have in nature, right? If you were to have a banana peel or something out in nature, the time for it to decompose versus the type of environment in a landfill, very, very different. Uh, so we do recommend if you have compostable items, whether it's food waste or a pizza box, or uh, you mentioned a compostable cup or fork, things like that, uh, it is important that those go in the right stream, so into a compost system. That The, the big difference between that is oxygen and light. Um, so if we look at a landfill environment, you place those types of items in a landfill, it's going to eventually produce methane, which as we know is a very potent greenhouse gas. We put those same items in a compost pile, it's going to, through the process of facilitated decomposition, uh, produce a little bit of carbon dioxide. But again, that is part of the natural process of decomposition. Great. Yeah. Thank you for that very detailed answer. I'll, you know, we'll think twice before just the yeah. easy thing of like throwing it away, right? It's like, nope, it's actually just as easy to just compost the same thing. So yeah, and thanks. that is it really is an excellent question because I get I have those conversations all the time with residents that it is a, a misunderstanding. They think that if it ends up in a landfill, it's going to break down the same way and just not the case. 
Yeah. In fairness, your colleagues are probably getting exposed to the same YouTube commercials that I do. That's <laughs> exactly that claim. So. Oh, oh interesting. Boy. Okay. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. Um, oh, can I? Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just, that makes me think in the efforts, and I know they are very, uh, we're in the very beginning stages of efforts with um, restaurants in looking at alternative takeaway packaging, mm -hmm. but that just makes me think like, even if we are successful in increasing the amount of like compostable takeaway containers, then we will also need to be very sure to have compost bins downtown or what, because right now, like some restaurants already do do compostable stuff, but mm -hmm. your only option is to just throw them away when you're downtown or haul them home with you in your bike bag like Sure. <laughs> yep. And and we've thought through those different steps as well. So yeah. part of that is to parallel expansion of some composting. The other thought process with if we're thinking of delivery and takeout containers is a good majority of local residents do have composting at home through our curbside mm -hmm. collection program. And oftentimes, where are you taking those takeout containers? You're taking them home. Uh, so from that lens, we've got a good system in place. Uh, if we think of especially other stuff that a restaurant's using that might stay in-house that they need to dispose of, uh, we do have some restaurants that work with Compost Ninja, which is a local private hauler. Uh, but yes, the other solution, of course, would be how. what other ways can we increase that composting for, for that type of lens? Or even yeah. I'm thinking about like the downtown festivals where a lot of vendors do have compostable stuff, but there's nowhere to put them. Yep. And we have over the years worked with both Summer of the Arts and downtown district. Uh, we've had composting at many of those events. Sometimes it's been successful, sometimes not. Uh, anytime you have composting at an event, uh, if any of you have ever worked a waste station, there is truly such thing as autopilot throwing things away, uh, where a lot of contamination usually happens in those bins. So some of the programs have successfully continued composting, others just with uh, the setup of it, if contamination was too high, it was discontinued, but something we're continuing to look into. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's worth noting we evaluated it for the farmer's market as well because there was an initiative yes. to introduce composting or require only compostable only materials at the farmer's market. And because of the levels of contamination we saw, ultimately we chose to go in the direction of emphasizing food waste only, not compostable containers. Yeah. Um, and that's been fairly successful, is my understanding, well, in the farmer's market and probably the direction we encourage for downtown events as well. In part because there's even a difference between a compostable container and a compostable fork, right? Um, one of those is easier to compost than the other. Yeah, so. that's a that's a whole other two hour discussion <laughs> of uh, biodegradable plastics. So yeah, a little bit more complicated. Yeah. Any other questions? This is Sturvent. Um, you you mentioned that the mattresses are collected for you know like the pickup curbside are being diverted. Are other you know like big bulky furniture is that being diverted too, or is that? Not at this time. I will say Willis Stady is looking into some other areas related to furniture and large household items like mattresses. So potentially at some point, there are certainly other uh, companies and nonprofits that have developed to utilize, you know, strip furniture and use some of those materials. So potentially at some point, we don't have anything locally for that at this time, though. 
This is Silman, and I have a question about the plastics recycling. Sure. So, um, you know, there are certain plastics that we can put in the recycling, and I was wondering, like, are we confident that it's actually being recycled and it's not ending up in the ocean somewhere? That's a great question. So I will say right now who we work with for our drop-off recycling and for our curbside collection, which as we know is single stream materials mixed together, we work with the Waste Commission of Scott County, which is a sorting facility over in Davenport, Iowa. They are a public entity. Uh, We work with them. Sarah actually has worked with them in past work that she's done before she came to City of Iowa City. Uh, And we both have the highest opinion uh, of this sorting facility. They're very transparent on what they are doing with materials, uh, and they have it within their mission to work with companies that are as local as possible. So really looking at uh, right within the Quad Cities area and then regionally in the Midwest where they can process cardboard, plastic, metal, et cetera. Um, So occasionally uh, I do get a list from our contact over at the sorting facility on what uh, plastic mills they're currently working with. So again, which is amazing to have a list like that to know where our materials are being sent. Uh, And on a regular basis, all the time. Uh, The manager over at the sorting facility and I are emailing back and forth on different questions. uh, And it's just, it's a wonderful partnership. And yes, I personally feel that our material is getting recycled. I think some of the concerns that especially have come come up over the last few years with recycling are related to contamination. Um, And of course, there are cases where if there are loads of recycling that are so significantly contaminated that they can't be recovered, there are situations where loads like that could be landfilled. Uh, And sometimes we hear those stories, something maybe out of Oregon or Massachusetts, and we think, is that what's happening here? I always recommend look to your local program, ask questions of what's happening to your local materials. Just because recycling is such a localized program, it's very much based off of what companies and economic structure you have within your own community. Yeah, Sarah, anything else to add on Waste Commission? Well, I'll just say it's not just Jane and I who hold them in high regard. They actually were featured a few years ago in the New York Times as one of the best recycling facilities in the nation. So we're really lucky to have them as a near neighbor and a resource. We are, yep. We always, this question comes up when Jane and I do community presentations and we always tell people if you want the answer to that, not just in regards to plastic, but any recycled item, the two best questions you can ask um, are, who's taking it and what is it being made into? And if a recycling program can answer those two questions confidently, you know, or even quickly, you know that they're doing their due diligence to make sure that it's being recycled. And uh, Jane can rattle off a list, I promise you. (laughs) What's it being turned into? (laughs) (laughs) Which material? Plastics. Plastics? It depends on which mill you talk to. Mm -hmm. Um, In some cases, there are some plastic loads that are being made back into a different type of plastic bottle or jug. Uh, In some cases, we see plastic sort of downcycled, which has to happen anyway with plastic because it has limited recyclability, uh, into things like farm tiles and other things that eventually really can't be recycled. We think of like raincoats and certain types of clothing that we see it in the label, recycled content from plastic. Uh, It's not something we think of as being able to put that into a recycling bin when we're done with it. That's because it's not supposed to go into a recycling bin when you're done with it. Um, Plastic really can only be recycled 
one to three times. Uh, so that's why you typically see that order of how it's remanufactured into those types of products that eventually are meant to be more durable, uh, but not recyclable. So the answer really does vary depending on which company we're talking about. Yeah. Our glass gets turned into insulation, which always makes me very happy as someone who thinks about insulation every day mm -hmm. and was, beer bottles, which I also think about regularly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was just down at Ripple Glass in Kansas City actually doing the full site tour, and it's quite fascinating to see in person how they're processing. But yeah, the majority of their material goes over to a local fiberglass insulation company in the Kansas City area. Great. Thank you, everyone. Thank Thanks, you. Jane. Next up, we have Climate Fest. Um, I'm going to give the floor over to Megan in just a second to kind of give you an overview of all the events that we have planned. Um, but before she does, I want to give you a little listening assignment. Um, this year, as in years past, we are inviting commission members to participate in the events, should your schedules and interests allow. Um, and we're doing something a little differently. In the past, we've usually asked for help with tabling, and we still do have some tabling opportunities if anybody would like to do that. Um, Wim actually uh, came as a representative mid-American to our last EV car show, so she can talk about that um, and what a fun experience it is. But in addition to those tabling opportunities, you'll see on your agenda, we've also noted items with the word host. And for those hosting events, what we're hoping is that some of you will be interested in standing up at the very beginning of the event, introducing yourself as a member of the commission, introducing the event and the people participating in it and thanking everybody for coming. So it's about a five minute commitment at the beginning of the event, but we're hoping it will um, do a couple things. One of which is um, make sure we're introducing you to members of the public as members of this commission so that if people have questions about climate action, they know that you're someone they can talk to, not just in this meeting, but if they run into you, you know, in day-to-day -day life. Um, and also to give you a little recognition um, as commission members who come, you know, every month and give 90 minutes of your time to hear reports that we'll just say are of varying levels of excitement. Um, and so we want to make sure that we give an opportunity for you to stand up and be recognized for that work as well. So we're going to let Megan run through and describe the events so that you can hear if there are any that jump out at you as ones you might be interested in. And then we'll circle back and ask if anybody would like to sign up to volunteer for any of them. It's going to be at the greenhouse. Um, it is 
doors open at 5.30 and discussion starts at 6. And you would just introduce um, Jane and Sarah. Uh, I didn't mention Monday would be 3 to 6.30 is that table you met. So Wednesday, September 20th, uh, last year it was the kickoff. We're calling it Celebration at Big Grove. Um, tabling, a bunch of organizations, uh, community organizations will be there. And we will have a slideshow going of kind of successes um, this year. No video, we premiered two videos, three videos last year. So we'll just have a slideshow of successes and a bunch of um, tabling. And again, that would be a tabling event and that is five to eight. Thursday, September 21st, um, Pollinator Drive-In. You would introduce the movie. The movie starts at 7.30. We're gonna have people come in early. We'll have um, some organizations tabling, fun activities. We're gonna ask people to dress up as their favorite pollinator and have some, some giveaways for people to come dressed up. And you'll just introduce the movie. We are watching uh, My Garden of a Thousand Bees. Episode, it's, it's really nice. Um, so it's going to be driving style. People can um, drive in their car at the airport and uh, we'll watch it on one of the hangars. Um, Friday, September 22nd is the Beat the at the Senior Center. The event is 11.30 to 1.30 and the actual um, speaking part will happen for an hour, so it'll be like one, uh, noon to one. We're gonna have light refreshments for the public, encourage them to bring their own lunch, and we'll have a representative from NOAA talk about the results from Spot the Hot campaign. Uh, we'll have some tabling organizations, and then Johnson County Public Health will be there um, talking about heat stress, heat illness, um, and we hope to premiere our Spot the Hot video as well. So you would, again, introduce the speakers um, at that event if you choose to help us out there. Uh, Saturday is the EV car show. Um, this is right alongside the farmer's market, so City Hall's parking lot on this side by New Pie, and it's 7.30 to noon, that's just tabling. Um, you'll help us talk to people about EVs. We'll have our electric bus. Uh, hopefully we'll have another um, electric uh, scooter like we did last year that was really cool. Um, and we'll have a couple of tabling organizations. Any questions? It's a lot. I know. <laughs> Great. Are you looking for volunteers now? or later? Do you want us to email you? Why don't we do that? That'd be nice. Um, and we'll circle back at the next meeting and that's when we'll start, you know, you thumping kneecaps.
Why don't we say email in the next two weeks and we'll send out a reminder. That way folks who weren't able to be here today have an opportunity as well. And if more than one of you want to sign up to host, that is great. We will find a way to accommodate it. Awesome, thanks. Great, should we move on to new business? Sounds good. Um, the first item under new business is fairly short and sweet. Um, I know in previous meetings we've talked about the fleet transition plan that the city is undertaking. This is an effort to identify pathways that we can fully electrify, electrify our fleet, um, as we've been saying, from uh, forklifts to dump trucks, right? We want to think about all the vehicles the city owns and operates, which are um, early candidates for electrification, which do we see coming down the pike in the next uh, five to 10 years, and what can we be doing specifically to build out our infrastructure so we're ready for it. And Timing just worked out to be great um, with the federal grant that we secured to build a new transit facility, right? Because we can be thinking right now about what kind of infrastructure do we need to have in place so that we could charge every bus um, and not just four of them. So that process kicked off um, two weeks ago. We had our initial meeting with ICF, the consultant that's working on it. Um, they have a fairly ambitious schedule. We've asked for this plan to be completed within the space of nine months. They are already um, going through the fleet data that uh, Dan, Danny's been working with our um, <laughs> fleet manager, also named Dan, so it's confusing. The Dans are going through that data and getting it to ICF, who's then combing through it to figure out what are the vehicles we have and what are the uh, electric models um, coming out that are going to match those or fit those needs. Um, and then they'll be doing a similar facilities announcement, and then we'll be working together to create a pathway. So there are um, four meetings scheduled with a staff committee representing um, various internal stakeholders. We would like to ask for a volunteer off the Climate Action Commission to attend those meetings as well. Um, the idea being twofold here again. Um, one, so that when you get a presentation from ICF about the fleet transition plan, it's not the first time you're hearing about it when the project is completed, but you'll have somebody there who can be providing updates in addition to staff. But also, um, we know many of you are connected with organizations that may have fleets of your own. This may be something that you will be considering um, in the future, and so it's a chance to get a peek at how that process works and the kinds of questions that come up in hopes that um, whoever is volunteering would be able to share it with organizations and businesses that you're affiliated with. So uh, nice little dual benefit there. Um, here too, why don't we say if anybody has an interest in volunteering, if you would email me and Danny, if we um, don't have Danny's email, you can just email me and I'll copy Danny on it. Oh, I think you have both of us and uh, we'll get you hooked up. And there too, you know, if more than one of you has an interest in sitting in on those meetings, um, I'm sure we can find a way to accommodate it. 
um, if you're interested too, we can provide you a tentative schedule of when those meetings would be so you can see how it would fit with your current schedule. Are there any questions about the fleet transition project, either related to volunteering or just in general? It's an exciting project. We're uh, looking forward to bringing you updates in the future. All right, and that brings us to the next item. Michael, you want to kick us off? Yes. Okay, we're freezing. <laughs> I don't know what the rest of you. Um, I'm going to kick us off on this visioning indicators of success discussion. Um, so, typically, as a society, we measure our success in terms of growth, you know, like GDP on a national level or population and tax-based growth on a local level like we do here in Iowa City. And in our new strategic plan at the sort of end of it, there's a, um, a suggestion that, the, that there's a need for citywide metrics to assess our progress towards solving systemic problems like climate change. Uh, so this seems to me like we have all these metrics that are about growth, but we have this recognition that we need other types of metrics. Um, this seems like a great opportunity for this commission to re recommend metrics that move us toward a future vision of a thriving, climate-resilient community. And when I spoke to Sarah about this, she noted that with the upcoming regional climate plan that we're going to start working on and the comprehensive plan process that the city staff is going to be going through, that this would be a really good time for us to go through a visioning process and an exercise of creating a vision for Iowa City in 2050. Uh, and we thought we would maybe start with this vision process because it mirrors the, the city council's process that they go through when they're making the strategic plan. And then once we created that vision of like, what would this climate resilient community really look like? 25 years from now, um, that then we can use that vision to work with the climate staff and create recommendations for those types of metrics. So to that end, we'd like to propose an assignment for all of you for each of the next three meetings. In September, October, and November, we will work together to create a vision for one of the focus areas in the Climate Action Commission. So we'd work on um, first buildings, then transportation, then waste. And your assignment for our next meeting would be to in some way kind of write or even sketch up a vision for how our buildings or the built environment would ideally look in 2050. Like what would our city look like if we really were successful in creating this beautiful, resilient community? Um, th so this is a chance to focus on that positive future vision. Like so often Sarah points out like, how often when we're talking about climate change and climate action, it can be like, how do we fix these really hard, intractable problems? And this is gonna be an opportunity to look for like, what is the positive vision of the future? And hopefully that's also a way we can get more residents behind the idea because it's something positive to work towards. And Sarah, I'll turn it over to you to say anything else about this process. Ooh. There we go. Um, yeah, no, that's a great introduction. Thanks so much. 
Um, I will say, I'll just add, and I think uh, Michael alluded to this pretty well, that this is very similar. In fact, it's identical to the process that's done with the city council when they developed the uh, strategic plan that they sat down and went through several sessions of outlining a vision of what success looks like, um, in part because this is extremely helpful to staff to help us figure out what we're aiming to navigate toward. Um, traditionally, I, I feel I should say that um, traditionally metrics are something that's offered up by staff, um, but there's no reason that this discussion can't include that. Um, and so the idea is that we would do the visioning first and then think about what next steps would be. Um, we've divided it into buildings, transportation, and waste because, of course, those are the three sectors of emissions that get grouped together in our climate action plan. And that allows us to drill down in a little more detail for each of these areas. Um, this is also a process, incidentally, um, Lizzie can speak to this, that, and Gabe too, that we use with our climate ambassadors, that we ask them to write a vision for what the future looks like, um, in part because those kinds of visions are far more motivating than just talking about what the problem is at hand, right? This idea that we're not just trying to fix things, we're trying to make things better. Um, and to that end, in your packet um, this week, I included two things. One is a poem by Wendell Berry, because this is Iowa City, and so we should have poems in our agenda packets. But also, um, this is a poem that I think about quite a lot myself when I try to imagine a vision of the future. Um, and in fact, I share with the climate ambassadors when we go through that exercise. Um, and we won't read through it here, but it's yours to reference as a way to start thinking about what things might look better. Um, I'll just point out that one of my favorite, favorite lines in this poem is actually the end where it says, this is no paradisal dream, it's hardship is its possibility. I quote that to people all the time, right, to say the fact that we know it's difficult doesn't mean it's impossible. Like, you can only say it's difficult because you know the work that's involved. And if you know the work that's involved, you know that you can accomplish it, right, or you know the pathway forward to it. Um, but I also included in your packet um, an excerpt from a report that was generated by Iowa State students that we worked with um, almost two years ago now, who were um, providing actually some workforce development suggestions for our climate action plan. And just like now, we asked them to think about what does a future for Iowa City look like if we succeed, right? And they created this interesting graphic. So I included it for two reasons. One is to say, if you don't feel like writing something, feel free to draw something or collage something. That can be very useful as well. But also, like, this just tickles me because it makes Iowa City look like such a wasteland in the before. <laughs> like, and then there are trees on everything in the future. <laughs> And I think, um, I, I don't know, I just think that's an invitation to have some fun with it, right? Like, it should be an enjoyable experience first, first off, um, and hopefully that reduces the intimidation factor if it exists at all. I know you all have wonderful ideas you're gonna bring to the table in the discussion, so. Are there, I feel like we end every segment of this by being like, are there any questions? But are there any questions? I love this idea. I think it's really great and just we can be creative with it too and it is motivating to create a vision. Um, but I would also invite community members possibly to, to 
take part in this too. Yeah. If any way we could advertise, come to the meetings or, um, you know, reach out to us too if, if community members have visions as well. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm so glad you said that because part of the way this will be useful, and Michael suggested this, you know, as we embark on our comp plan, um, our hope is that we can use some of the visions you've outlined to help start the discussion with community members because, like, the comp plan will have um, a lot of community feedback and involvement, similar to the way the climate action plan did, right? But it's often easier to start with a structure that people can add to or take away from, like... Well, maybe a few less trees on roofs, maybe a few more solar panels looking at the photo, right? Um, and so what you're doing now is really helping us lay the groundwork for that comprehensive regional plan. Well, the comprehensive regional climate plan that our office will be working on, but also the comprehensive land use plan that folks in neighborhood and development services will be working on in the coming year. Um, and to that end, I should say, we have invited them to attend the meeting next month so that um, they can hear directly from you about your vision for uh, what the built environment could look like if we su could succeed. But also they can talk about the kinds of things that they factor into their decision-making so we can hear about um, the metrics that are already in use. Um, Great. Thank you. But yes, members of the community can come and participate in the discussion here, too. Yeah, is there a way that we could or should um, advertise that or, or invite that in a more than we normally We could put something in the newsletter, I think, couldn't we? Yeah, yeah, we can give some thought. <coughs> Any other questions or thoughts about this? What is the delivery format? <laughs> um, <Song>. you, <laughs> you don't have to turn anything into us unless you want to. I mean, if you if you draw something and you want us to have that drawing, feel free to hand it in. But if you want to draw it so that you can refer to it in the discussion, we'll largely be taking notes in the discussion. Got it. And feel free to talk to friends and neighbors as well. You know, say what does a what does a successful future look like to you? And then hope you can find that to cut out in a magazine to add to your collage. <laughs> Great. Okay. Recap. Sounds good. I mean, do you want to move on to the recap? Yeah. Or do you want me to? I'll oh, do that. well, I we can, can do move that. on to it. The confirmation <laughs> uh, of the next meeting time and location is here, Monday, September 11th, 3.30 to 5 p.m. Mm -hmm. And any action items that are taken down? Um, yeah. I'll note before we move on from September 11th that that is the second Monday of the month, and so the first Monday, the first Monday being Labor Day. Um, and just as a reminder, the last thing you saw in your packet, we um, included the meeting schedule that you had been given at the beginning of the year um, to note that that's one of two upcoming meetings that'll take place on the second Monday of the month. One's in September, the other's November. That'll take place November 13th um, to accommodate a city council meeting. It turns out they want to use their chambers and they get first priority. So 
Cool. Um, and then actionable items I have jotted down that I'm going to make that correction to the attendance sheet in the minutes before we turn it in. Um, you all will be working on your visions between this month and next. And um, you'll be emailing us about your, if you would like to contribute to tabling or hosting Climate Fest, and if you'd like to be included on the Fleet Transition Staff Committee meetings. Is there anything I'm forgetting on that list? The newsletter oh. inviting public to the visioning. Thank you. Anything else? All right. Sarah and I discussed this last week if we needed a motion to adjourn and decided first that we didn't and then that it would be a good idea in the cases where especially we adjourn early. So <laughs> I will entertain a motion to adjourn. <laughs> uh, Silman, I motion to adjourn. And Fitzsimmons, I'll second. Right. All in favor? Aye. 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 Well, your last act as a commissioner, Lizzie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone.